This is the Horse Radio Network. This is Episode 7 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Riding an ugly horse can get you arrested. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hell, high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop I am Glenn the Geek And I'm Helena B And this is Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network Hi Helena how are you, Glenn? All right. Seems like a long time since we've actually done a show because I was on vacation last week and we had pre-recorded one. That's right. You were out traveling the countryside. Where, where yeah, were you? Well, Tennessee we, or we France or something? Tennessee. No, we didn't go to France. We went to Tennessee. We went to Pigeon Forge up in uh, the mountains. P- actually, were there a lot of pigeons there? No, we didn't see any pigeons at Pigeon Forge. Pigeon Forge, imagine a beach, imagine a beach boardwalk location like Myrtle Beach. Imagine that. In the mountains. And that's what Pigeon Forge is like. It's all the beach. It's this whole one road that goes through town. Pretty much it is just one road. And it goes through town, and it's just all of these things that makes it look like you're at the beach. All these businesses, they have all of the go-kart rides and the miniature golf courses and the restaurants. It just looks like you're at the beach. Now, is there anything else around, or is it just this pocket of... Mountains. Stuff. It's right there at the Smoky Mountains. It's right at the base of the Smoky Mountains, which is its claim to fame. And Dollywood is there. Dolly Parton grew up there. So uh, the Dollywood Amusement Park is there, which was a lot of fun. We did have fun at Dollywood. Uh, we're probably going to go back at Christmas time because they, they put up four million lights through the park. Oh, my gosh. And this park is unique. You'd like this because it's more of a family place. It's not so much a Six Flags type of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It, there's, they have a lot of shows. And, of course, everything is country music. Now, Jennifer and I, my wife and I, we're, we're not big country music fans. I mean, we, it's okay, and we'll listen to it. But you have to be a big country music fan to go to Pigeon Forge because that's all there is. Uh, bluegrass and country music. And so we had our fill of country music after a week in Pigeon Forge. But it, it, the the park itself, Dollywood, is kind of neat because it's set in the in a valley between two hills. And it's it's spread out and it's very wooded. I mean, it's very wooded. So you can't see one part of the park from another part. Mm-hmm. And it how, just seems like you're in the mountains. It really How is big kinda, is it? Like how, how many acres is the park? Oh, I don't know. It's a pretty good sized park. I mean, it's the size of a Six Flags kind of park, and they do have roller coasters and things like that, and the kiddie section and water rides and all of that, but they also have many theaters with shows, and they do shows all day long. Yeah. So it was kind of neat. You know, it was empty. You know, that's why we always go on vacation the third week of September. No matter where you go, it's empty. We didn't wait in line for anything. What you is know, that all about? Somebody was just telling me that, like, JetBlue had this amazing sale on tickets for this that particular week. The it's third like third week of September. Kids are back at school, so parents don't want to take their kids out of school that soon. Yeah. So they'll do it at Christmas time, but they won't do it that soon, so every place is empty. The mm-hmm. only thing, this is a funny story, the only thing we waited in line for at Dollywood was to see Dolly's bus. 
That's the, we waited 20 minutes to get in and see her old bus. This is the bus she traveled the country with for like 650,000 miles worth. She doesn't like to fly, so she drives in, in the bus. Now, she has a new bus. This bus was $750,000 when she bought it back in the 80s. And it's a very nice bus. And, of course, the makeup place is beautiful, where, where she puts on her makeup in her little suite. Yeah. Of course, Dolly wears a lot of makeup. So, but her new bus is $2.7 million bus that she travels the country in. So I imagine that's much. It has four slide outs on the oh new bus. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so she, because she doesn't fly anywhere. She drives all around the country. She's on tour right now, actually. So, you know, that, and it makes sense that that would have be the um, most popular attraction because – Short of going inside her actual house, this is the closest thing to Dolly that you're going to get. It's her personal space on display. Exactly. She had the same bus driver for like 20 years, too, which I thought was amazing. Uh, And they would drive. They made the trip from here. We're boring people to death. Has nothing to do with horses. Um, (laughs) But they drove from Pigeon Forage from down there in the Smokies in Tennessee to to Los Angeles so she could do her appearances and stuff. She was one of the most regular guests on Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show then. A hundred times they made that trip, round trip, without stopping. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) And that's quite a drive. That's some job. Exactly. Exactly. I'm sure he was well paid, though. You know, when you find somebody that's that's so valuable that way, you keep him around with lots of dinero. She does have a story. I mean, it's very interesting. She grew up in a two-room house there in the mountains, uh, you know, basically was poor as the Dickens, didn't have much, and... Worked her way up through Nashville. So it's a rags-to-riches story for sure. Well, but that has nothing to do with horses. We actually didn't do anything horsey the entire time we were there, which was probably the first vacation ever that we didn't. But right. it is. The Smokies are beautiful. Uh, we went up to the very top of the Smokies and the highest point there, and, and it was a beautiful day. So, so that was a lot of fun. Okay. All right. All right. I guess we better start talking about horses before everybody tunes out. <laughs> So today, what are we going to do? Um, oh, boy. I knew I you were going to ask me know. that sooner or later. That's kind of why I let you go on about Dollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about. Let me tell you, everybody. Glenn goes away on vacation, and do you think I did my homework and look up good news items for today's show or exciting no, things to talk about. I got back. No, I went out and I rode my horse because it's September, and there are no bugs, and the weather's beautiful, and I can ride my horse, and that's what I did. So let's see. Let me think about what we have for news. Um, All right. Glenn is going to talk about the 2010 games, World Equestrian Games. He's going to give you an update there. Um, We've got some interesting information that came through Sports Illustrated um, about the U.S. Olympic team or the dressage team being disqualified. Uh, The horse slaughter bill is up for a vote on the House floor. And a couple of other interesting and fun facts about the horse world that some of you may know and some of you may not. All right, good. And we have an interview today as well, right? Oh, yeah. See, (laughs) this is one of those things I forgot while I was out riding my horse. We are going to talk to Deanna Castro, and she has a pretty cool blog. Um, I think it's professional.horse.blogspot. Actually, you know what? No. DeannaCastro.com, and we'll put the link up on our website. She has great tips and a really fun blog, some funny pictures and uh, stories about her family who's involved in the horse world as well. So that's Deanna Castro coming up a little later. 
Okay, good. To start with the news today, I do have something I wanted to mention. It's been an exciting week here in Lexington with the run-up to the 2010 games. There was a lot of announcements this last week out of the 2010 headquarters over there by the horse park. Uh, The one big one happened just about two hours ago. They announced that... uh, uh, what's going to happen with ticket sales. And the story is tickets are going to go on sale September 25th, 2009. So that's a year from now. Wait, let me write that down. September 25th. Yeah, I think I think you have plenty of time to prepare. I'm not quite sure why they've delayed it till then. You actually ca- you've had the opportunity to buy tickets through a couple of the associations uh, like the uh, U.S. Equestrian Federation and some of the other groups ar- around the world have been selling tickets already, but they have not been open to the general public yet. So they will go on sale uh, September 25th, 2009. It looks like they haven't set all the prices for the tickets yet, but the cheapest reserved seats will be a minimum of $25. Oh, that's fine. So I'm sure the prices will go up from there. Now, what they're doing is they're selling tickets for each day, you know, each event. So you'll have to buy tickets for each separate event like you would at the Olympics. Oh, okay. But you can get them online, right? Actually, Ticketmaster is going to be selling the tickets, it looks like. Okay, so hopefully if they have all their ducks in a row, you'll be able to go online and pick which events you want. That's correct. And I went to their first, they had a forum here, the organizing committee had a forum downtown Lexington yesterday to talk to the locals and Mm -hmm. to fill the locals in. Apparently, they're going to do that on a fairly regular basis. So I went to that yesterday, and it looks, I was pretty impressed with the group that's running the show. They seem to really have their act together. They're thinking about a lot of things. They talked about parking and transportation and hotels and everything. I would say that as if you plan on coming here, though, we have 7,000 hotel rooms in this town as of now. They're expecting 100 to 200,000 people. Oh, my God. So get your hotels early is what I would say. I know we're expecting a house full because all our friends have already said, can we stay with you? So we will probably have uh, air mattresses all over this house and tents in the backyard. Um, they're, they're expecting to sell 600,000 tickets for the games, and that's a conservative estimate they said yesterday. Uh, but they're also sell- they're selling the tickets two ways. They're selling tickets to the events themselves that will get you into the park and to the event. But they're also selling general admission tickets where you wouldn't have tickets to the events, but you'll be able to come into the park and all the activities that they have going on. They have a ton of activities going on at the park during the games that are not related to the events, as well as 350 to 400 vendors is what they're expecting. So this is going to be like a whole festival. Oh, yes. This is, this is, it's the hugest sporting event to come to the United States pretty much ever. Yeah. You know, as far as horse sporting event, an equine sporting event. It's very exciting. They have some really cool things planned. And the state of Kentucky is really going out of the way, too. The state of Kentucky is going to have uh, setups over there talking about the various things in Kentucky. And what they're trying to do is encourage people, obviously, to go to some of the horse events, but then to take a day or two and go out and see some of the other cool things in Kentucky. Okay, and, of course, so- one, one of the things, big things around here is taking farm tours because we have the most beautiful, large, massive, multi-bazillion-dollar farms in the country here. So, and they're just very pretty and, you know, fun to take a look at and see. 
Okay, so let, let, let's back up for a minute here. Yep. Um, so the, the games run from September 25th through October 10th of 2010. 16 days. Okay, 16 days. You will be able to buy your tickets starting next September 25th. Right. Right. And you will be able to get them online through Ticketmaster. You can pick which events you want to buy tickets for. Will there be an option for you to sort of buy an all-inclusive Cast, I don't, you know? They haven't said anything about that, so I'm assuming no, because what they have to do is reserve specific seats for each of the stadiums. Oh, okay. Uh, so that's why I think they're not doing that. And the reason, I think partly the reason that they're waiting till then to sell tickets is because they don't. these stadiums aren't done yet. They don't know the final seating arrangements, the seating numbers. Oh, that's not all done yet. Okay. Uh, so uh, that's, go ahead. So, so now, now I want to jump up because you were going a little too fast for me. <laughs> yep. Okay. That's fine. I was, that means I was going too fast for everybody else too. You can tell um, I'm excited. And I do you're want to so excited. That, <laughs> well, I do want to mention that we also do the 2010 radio show at 2010radioshow.com, which is a weekly podcast talking about nothing but, but the games. That's but all we talk about. So, Where was I again? Sorry, I interrupted you again. That's all right. Okay, we're talking. Oh, the forum. So, okay, back to the because I that that number of seven thousand hotel rooms stuck in my head, and then yep. expecting like six hundred thousand. Let's just say that. So we've got competitors coming from all over the world. My guess is that a fair amount of those competitors are going to take up those seven thousand hotel rooms if those are the closest to the venue. Well, not only that, we have eight thousand volunteers have already signed up. Well, okay, so volunteers have probably come from. Uh, well, well, actually, the volunteers are coming from 50 states and all 50 states and 48 different countries. So in this forum, did the organizing team discuss at all? What well, the what's going to happen, I think, is what one of the things that's happening is there's a lot of people in Lexington now interested in leaving town for f- locals in leaving town for those two weeks and renting their houses out. So that's going to become a big thing in the next not cheap the early ones i've seen on some of the websites which you can find over at uh, 2010 radioshow.com is like three thousand dollars a week to rent a house um so so that's one of the options plus i think people will be staying in cincinnati in louisville they'll be staying up to an hour away and that increases the amount of hotel rooms greatly but if you want to be staying locally you're going to have to reserve early Okay. All right. There's just just going to be a lot of people here. They will have no parking at the horse park. They're going to be bussing everybody in from outlying parking lots, or the hotels. Okay. But all right. So the the games will have transportation, though. Yes. Okay. Yep. And that's how they're going to get everybody there because there's just not enough room to house everything they're going to do at the games. Right. And do the parking as well. So. So check in, as I said, check in over at uh, 2010radioshow.com. The schedule's over there now. That was just announced last week, too. The actual schedule of what events are happening, what days. And they are planning. This is the other thing that went on in the forum yesterday downtown in Lexington, is they are planning parties every night all over the area. (laughs) There's going to be, as they said, this is going to be 16 days of partying like you've never seen in Kentucky before. (laughs) With 600,000 other horse people. (laughs) They're expecting 100 to 200,000 selling 600,000 tickets because people buy multiple tickets. Well, that's still still a lot of people. Yeah. When you take into consideration for Rolex, they get, what, 40 to 50,000? Yeah. I think that's the number. So here we're, we're talking about four or five times that. Oh, my gosh. 
And there's lots of preparations underway as far as the town's concerned. They're going to be bringing in big-name acts for concerts every night. They're going to be doing a lot of things. It's going to be a party. That's the next big news release that we're waiting for. Remember I said we've got to get uh, – last time, last show we talked about this. Who's going to be the big-name performer that they yes. get? Yes, and, and, and uh, so hopefully now that we'll, we'll find that out pretty soon. Are they going to have another forum that, that you'll attend? Because I think you should raise your gonna, hand and make actually, the suggestion. <laughs> actually, I'm going tomorrow – to they're having a press conference over at the new indoor arena inside. So it'll be the first chance that we all get to see the inside of the new indoor. It's not done yet, but it's 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 on the way. They said they're about six weeks ahead of schedule. So they're doing a press conference to make some announcements over there tomorrow. So I'll be over there and I'm actually gonna do a video. So I'm gonna do a little construction video. I do construction blogs on the website. Okay. About the construction going on over there. I'm gonna do actually a little construction video that everybody can watch. Can you give the URL to the uh, to the new show? Again, it's 2010-2010-radioshow.com. Okay. And there are links on stablescoop.com as well. So, Great. I really and, want to see that indoor. Yes, it's going to be – it is cool. It is neat. I can't wait to see the inside, so that will be fun tomorrow. Sports Illustrated reported last week, and along with everyone else, that the United States was disqualified Monday from its fourth-place finish in Olympic team dressage for a positive drug test. <sighs> Yep. Apparently, Courtney King's horse, uh, Matthias, tested positive for Felbinac, which is also another anti-inflammatory pain reliever. It's another Tylenol. Now, there was some a little bit of argument back and forth over this one. She argued at the, before the tribunal, the Olympics tribunal, that she really didn't gain any competitive advantage from it. And because of the nature, and apparently it was a very small amount of the substance, that she had not mistreated her horse. But the FEI does consider Felbinac as a banned medication, and it's not a doping product, but it is a banned medication. So, so, so all right. So they they're disqualified. End of story. That's it. End of story. They're taking a hard line, and as the FEI said, the disqualification was automatic, despite the pleas from the United States uh, Equestrian Federation. It was. It was just uh, automatic. This, they're taking a hard line in this stuff. Well, did she have the opportunity? Well, okay, I'm sure every rider is going to say this or every horse owner is going to say, I don't know how that got in my horse's system. Isn't that what? And that's what she is saying, I think, is that she doesn't know how. And it could be from, you know, Lord knows what it was from. But they, as I said, they're taking a hard line, and I'm sure they will be for the World of Question Games as well. Well, it's zero tolerance. It's zero tolerance. It yeah. doesn't, you know, that applies to Americans as well. And what, you know, what they said, the FEI made a statement, and I'll quote them. This is their quote. The behavior of anyone at the top of the sport, and particularly at the Olympic Games, must be faultless since the eyes of the world focus on the performances at such events. Unquote. So that was their statement. And, you know, they are right about that, too. The eyes of the world are on it. And, and the eyes of the world are always more on the horse stuff because there are horses involved. So there's an animal involved in the thing. And as far you know, I think that's the only Olympic sport that there is an animal involved. That is the only Olympic sport. Yeah. There's so you know, the eyes of the world are always, you know, if somebody's drugging or doing that or whatever, you know, they're going to create more attention. So basically the team was disqualified and she was disqualified also individually for, I believe for, I, I don't know that she placed real high, but. Right. But now her name is tarnished. And But the problem is, this is what I picked up in bits and pieces, um, is that 
because she said she didn't know how the Felmanac got in her horse's system, the only theory that they had was that he somehow came in contact with it, with it in an exam room, in a veterinary exam room, while he was abroad. Because he had, they had tested uh, – I'm not sure about this, but I thought he had been tested at one point and he was clear, but then again – and the Felbanek showed up, and the only thing that happened to him in between those two periods of testing was that he had gone into an exam room in one of the um, veterinary clinics in China. And, you know, that follows with – the FEI did say that they they believed that King nor anyone on her behalf or related to the USEF had knowingly administered the medication to the horse. So, ah. So that sort of fits with that. Right, this accidental... So you, you still have to wonder how it got there. I don't know. And, well, you know, if if the tests are that that minute now, that they can really find the smallest amount, you know, there's potential for accidents to happen all over the place. Exactly, cross-contamination or yeah. whatever they call it. It's, um... Let's just call that a work in progress, figuring out all of that, I think. And yeah. I'm sure it's the whole thing's going to get a little easier and a little better for everybody as yeah. time goes on. Well, you know, it's unfortunate, but maybe if it, if this does become such a hot topic, it's kind of like, you know, if you steal something, we cut off your hand. <laughs> Who's going to steal? If you know that your first offense, you're pretty much going to lose a limb. Uh, let's see what happens to, you know, the next limb. Do they do drug testing for the World Equestrian Games? Yes. Okay. So we're going to have the same issues there. Let's see Matter what of fact, the University of Kentucky, I think, is the one who's going to be helping run that, I, I believe. I'm not quite sure on that. But I know they're building a facility just for the testing. So, Well, I would be very interested to see what the drug testing results are after the World Equestrian Games based on the amount of um, negative press or just press in general that the uh, Olympics has gotten with the drugs. Yeah, and we're going to have five more sports than we had. We only have uh, three equestrian events at the Olympics. There's eight for the World Equestrian Games. So you're talking almost 1,000 horses. What are, do you know what the eight disciplines are? Yes, I do. The eight disciplines are eventing, right. driving, right. dressage, endurance, para-equestrian, the Paralympics, yeah. reining, jumping, and vaulting. Reining, jumping, and vaulting. So there's a little bit of something for everybody there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So so Western is represented in reining. We've got driving. Great and vaulting. I don't know. I don't know when vaulting got to be so popular that it got into the games. Mm, I'm not a big remember. fan of vaulting, but I, I don't know. We'll have to. I don't know. I don't know. Hey, uh, on the subject of horses and drug testing and. Uh, that leads us to your next story. There's a transition for your next story about the horse slaughter bill. Okay. Um, there's something um, in the U.S. House, Re- House of Representatives. It's um, a measure known as the Prevention of Equine Cruelty Act of 2008, H.R. 6598. And it prohibits the transport, sale, delivery, or export of horses or horse meat, either for slaughter or for human consumption um so i know there people are on either side of this this topic but essentially people who support the bill um i mean it's self-explanatory you're not putting horses on a 
double-decker truck and sending them off to a horrible fate. So they be won't be able to drive them across the Canada or Mexico anymore, basically. That's right. You can't you can't cross um, state lines. Actually, I, let me just double check. Um, it's it becomes it criminalizes um, interstate and foreign commerce. So you can't cross state lines to do this, and you can't ship out of the country. Is there any meat behind it? Not to, there's a bad pun. I didn't even mean to say that. Yeah. Is, is there any? That's, sorry about that. Uh, is there any? But that's the word. Uh, is there any? Uh, what's the offense? Is it? Oh, what you mean? What? What's the? Um... Right. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you are well, violators, would face up to well fines first of all, which are actually minimal, um, and then up to one year imprisonment for a first offense. Or if there's less than five horses or okay. under 2,000 pounds of horse meat. Um, if you're a repeat offender or if the situation involves more than five horses, then the um, punishment goes up to three years imprisonment. But it's up to. So not necessarily. You're not going to get the max. But there is prison time. That's the important part. Of yes, there is thing. prison time. And the interesting thing, here's what I thought was kind of tricky, that – the organizations, the federal organizations that are going to be enforcing this act or this law is the FBI and U.S. Customs, which oh, wow. those are pretty heavy hitters. They're yeah, consider- I'm glad you didn't say the Department of Agriculture because they can't enforce all of what they have already. Exactly. They're so exactly. – well, that's interesting. FBI and huh. – Yeah, because it actually comes out from under the um, – the, um, Terrorism, not the terrorism. What's the Department of Homeland, Homeland Security. Security? Really? Yes, that's who. Um, you know, I, is there anybody opposing this? Uh, yes, there are, and here's where you're going to find it even more interesting: is the American Association of Equine Practitioners, the AAEP, which has the veterinarians. Yep. Okay. Um, they've actually gone on record opposing the bill, and really, the, yep. They think that it eliminates what they call a necessary end-of-life option for unwanted horses, which is the basis for most of the people who oppose the bill is, okay, if we're not sending these horses to slaughter, what's going to happen to them? They're going to starve on the side of the road or they're going to be abused and neglected and abandoned and all these other way more horrible things than being shoved, beaten, electrocuted, and left to die in a double-decker bus in 108-degree heat on the side of a highway in Texas. <laughs> Yeah. So I guess you know how I feel about this. Um, so anyway, they say that, you know, if we don't have this particular end to a horse's life, that there could be far worse. So, and of course, as I just illustrated, the other side of the coin is what could be worse than what they're experiencing now as they go to slaughter. Right. And there always is euthanasia option. I mean, that's still available to people. They're yep. not saying you can't put your horse down. Right. You know, um, which is right. a lot more uh, uh, humane than the other route. And, you know, the money I think that we would spend trying to enforce um, – if trying to enforce the laws that regulate horse slaughter and transportation, just sending an agent out there to inspect these trucks and make sure that things are being done the right way, that takes an awful lot of time and money. Imagine if we took that time and money and spent it on – education programs, you go to these community forums and you tell these backyard horse owners or other horse owners that 
if you cannot care for your horse, here are rescue organizations. Here is an affordable option, which might be euthanasia. I hate to say it, but it's humane at least. Or better yet, let's put a ban on breeding horses. Right, right. You know, if if the AAEP wants to reduce the number of unwanted or abandoned horses in the United States, well, then let's make people pay to breed the horses. You know, it, there's just there there are ten different ways that you can achieve what the AAP EP is trying to achieve by opposing this measure. Do you have any idea whether it's going to go through or what what they think? Is I think happen? I think it will. It's looking pretty good. It it went through. Um, has it been by the Senate yet, or is it just the House at this point? Right now, it's just the House. So it passed the House Judiciary Committee um, on September 23rd. So next is um, on the House floor, and cross your fingers. And actually, uh, you live in Boston. Didn't I read that Suffolk Downs has done something about zero tolerance on slaughter? They have a no slaughter policy now. That's the racetrack. That's the thoroughbred racetrack up there in Boston. Yes. Um, not too long ago, Suffolk announced that they have taken an action to enforce. They have a zero tolerance policy toward the sale of racehorses for slaughter. And there was a particular thoroughbred owner who was notified by track officials that um, – he was no longer welcome at the track because two horses associated with him were found at auction pens in New Holland, Pennsylvania. And so that's going to be that set of precedents from now on. If we find out that you're selling your horses uh, for slaughter or you're sending them to an auction where meat buyers frequent, forget about coming back here at all. Wow. So the, uh, now there are not a lot of tracks that I know about that are doing that, are there? No. In fact, um, Suffolk might be the only one um, at this point, and I'm really hoping that they set a precedent for the rest of the country. Well, you know, there's a lot of things going on right now in, in the race world, especially all centered pretty much here in Kentucky, about banning steroid use and, and that kind of thing since since the Kentucky Derby. So there's a lot of things going on right now that I think are in a positive direction. Even the harness racing Matter of fact, just a couple of days ago, the Harness Racing Commission here in Kentucky, excuse me, approved a ban on abusive whipping in in harness racing, and so they've made the rules a lot stricter about how you are allowed to use the whip during a harness race. And I know whipping is one of the things that they they're talking about as well in thoroughbred racing. So hopefully that that'll help uh, eliminate some of the abusive things that are going on as well. And it's it's good to have the racing industries lead the way with these types of policies because um, they, they're just so powerful. They have unions and they have organizations and they have associations they have and just through their collaborative efforts. And they have money. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. I know. I was trying to be diplomatic about no, no, it. They have money. That's why they have all of those things. <laughs> okay. So they have money to fund these organizations That's and right. associations. And so it's kind of like a tidal wave. They have a little bit more power and, and pushing the way so you know hopefully the rest of the country will follow uh boston's lead let's let's hope so you know it's it's been an interesting week uh, with all the talk it's funny because we don't plan our shows to have a certain theme but the news forces us to have a certain theme a lot of weeks like the what we're talking about now and actually we talked about the veterinary uh 
association there. And President Bush signed a uh, something into law this past week that not too many people have even heard about. It's the Higher Education Reauthorization Bill. And what that does for horse people is it paves the way for more veterinary grant programs that will increase the number of veterinarians in public health practice and research. So that law hadn't apparently been updated in in more than a decade. So what it does is it contains the School of Veterinary Medicine Competitive Grant Program, which is a scaled-down version of the Veterinary Public Health Workforce Expansion Act. So what it does is it expands the number of veterinarians then that will go into public health practice, which which I think is interesting. Um, What it does, it provides a means to increase in veterinarians where there are shortages of veterinarians. Like where would there? Where would you think there's a, a shortage? I have no idea. You know, I know we have a lot of veterinarians around here, but I'm sure there are parts of the country where they're short on veterinarians. Yeah, actually, you know, there was a, a time there where we were considering moving to the eastern shore of Virginia, and actually, one of the the factors in deciding against it was that the nearest veterinary clinic was an hour and a half away. Right. So okay. Okay. I'm, all right. So that's happening right now, and and part of the money will allow schools to also, I think like a billion and a half dollars, will allow schools over a 10-year period to fund construction projects as well. I'm surprised this came out from from the the current administration. (laughs) Yeah, I know. uh, It was part of a a higher education bill. That's not the only thing that was in the bill. You know, there were lots of other things in the higher education bill, but this was part of it. I wonder who got that in there. You know, it's a, there's always somebody in there who kind of sneaks in a, a horse-friendly clause, you know. Take a look. I did not take a look. There will be links on our show notes at StableScoop.com. Episode 7, uh, there will be links there to that article if you want to read more about it. Is that what we're on right now, Episode 7? Yeah, we're all the way to Episode 7. How about that? Wow. <laughs> I think we that's about the end of our news segment for today, and we do have to get... You did an interview that uh, we want to get on the show today. Yes, I spoke with um, a riding instructor and trainer from Pennsylvania. Her name is Deanna Castro, and she has a wonderful blog that focuses on improving communication between horse and rider, and that can be found at deannacastro.com. That's D E A. N-N-A-C-A-S-T-R-O dot com. And we talked to Deanna from her home in Pennsylvania about how she got involved with horses and blogging and uh, where she gets the inspiration for her tips and advice. Welcome, Deanna Castro, to StableScoop.com. How are you this evening? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I am doing very well. Um, I have to tell everybody out there that uh, Deanna and I are doing our interview in the early evening. We're on the East Coast, um, but we both have kids, and so this actually turns out to be the best time of day for us to do this this phone call. Um, in fact, Deanna, you have a brand new baby, don't you? Yes, I do. I love talking about him. He's three months old. And what's his name? His name is Cristino. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. He's named after my father-in-law, little Cristino Alfredo Castro. He's our our little cowboy. Well, welcome him to the world. Um, Today, we are talking with Deanna about her blog. She's got a great informational blog for horse enthusiasts, and you can find it at deannacastro.com. And the idea behind the blog is actually to help improve communication between horse owners and riders and their horses. 
and it is chock full of fabulous advice, um, journal entries. You've got some guest bloggers there. Why don't you tell us, well, let's start a little bit with your background. Why don't you tell us how you got involved with horses? Okay, I was kind of born into it. My father has always had a farm, and it was just something that was always there. And thankfully, I was interested because all my other brothers and sisters could really care less about horses. I'm the only one in the family that's interested. So I grew up around that, and I always had lessons growing up, and there was always a bunch of horses in the backyard, which was really nice. Okay, so born into it. All right, it's a legacy for you then. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of parents, I mean, you may feel the same way with your own children, as, and I have a daughter. I hope and pray that she feels the same way about horses that I do, but you just never know how it's going to turn out. So yeah, you got true. the bug. You inherited the bug. Now, was your mom horsey? Well, not really because um, my dad took, it was really my dad. My dad took my mom out on the trail ride when they were first married, and there was a big snow snowbank, and the horse decided it wanted to roll in it. Oh. <laughs> that was the end of my mom's riding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame her. <laughs> it's one thing to roll in water or maybe sand, but a snowbank is tough stuff. Yeah, after that, she just wasn't interested anymore. And you actually have um, a pretty significant riding career yourself. You won some pretty important titles. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, um, I showed for quite a few years, and um, I would go throughout the season, and I worked really hard. I was always, every day, faithful, hours, hours, just doing, it was always my heart and my soul, and then... I won, and I won everything I would overdo. Once in a while, you know, of course, I wouldn't. When I first started, too, I, I wasn't winning. But, um, yeah, I have all kinds of different trophies. I have belt buckles. I have director's chairs. I have cans with my name engraved on it, things like that. I always had to be grand champion. I, I, and I wouldn't say it's not like I'm being conceited. I just, if I wasn't going to win, I didn't want to do it, and I just put in I just made sure I put in more hours than everybody else, and that's how I did it. Sure. Now, did you have a particular discipline that you, you stuck with, or did you spread yourself around? Not really. I mean, I did do English training, but I never showed English. I was more interested in, I like the um, Western pleasure, halter, showmanship, trail class. Those are, those are my things. Mm -hmm. I love showmanship. Showmanship is always my favorite. I just I love the groundwork. I love riding. But um, there's something about just moving with a horse on the ground seamlessly that I love. I just think it's so beautiful thing to see. Now, I, I don't know much about showmanship. Can you explain to me and maybe those like me out there who don't know what showmanship is? It sounds kind of interesting. It really is. It's basically showmanship was designed um, for riders to highlight their horses. It's grooming and showmanship. So... It was made for the rider to be safe. And you're showing your horse, and you stay between the horse and the judge all the time. You do crossovers. You're showing the horse for the best they can, they can be, and you want to always protect that other person that's there. That's what it was designed for. And you do different kind of patterns, which you could walk out, stop at cone A, jog to cone B, then maybe back up again to the cone, um, the first cone. And everything has to be in these perfectly straight lines. And if you can have the horse walking with their with their legs the same as yours, when your left foot goes forward, the horse's left front foot goes forward. That just makes it all look better. 
and you can do different kinds of pivots where the horse has to stay completely straight and pivot on the haunches, their front legs cross one over in front of the other. And those are those are usually like the deal breaker of the showmanship. And I was always really into the pivots, so that always helped when I was showing. And then the sad thing for me is I can't show showmanship anymore because that's only for amateurs. Once you go professional, you mm. can't do it anymore. Oh, yeah. that sounds actually very interesting. I'd imagine that there's a lot of groundwork and ground training that you do to prepare for that. Yes, there is. And it's all the little nuances that help you win. That sounds actually very exciting. I think I'm going to have to look into that a little bit more. Yeah, you show it. It's so much fun. It's just such a nice way that you just, it's like dancing with the horse. You just, the way you move, and I don't put any contact on the horse when I, when I would do it. You just flow and you you just train the horse to move their body with yours. And then um, another thing that I really like is when you set your horse up, you have to set your horse up completely square, all four hooves. Mm Mm-hmm. So with my horses, I always train them. Everything I did, I was constantly setting them up. So once they got out to the show ring, the horse basically stopped square, and I didn't have to hardly do anything, and that would always put us over the top, too. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. I spent hours and hours and hours. So I did win a lot of grand championships, a lot of different things like that, but I worked. There was a lot of wet saddle pads, a lot of sweat, and a lot of time involved in it. And you're now, now you are, um, you've, segued from competing yourself to now you're training and teaching. How did that happen? Yes. Well, what happened was kind of an interesting story. Um, I started out in art school. I went to college for art. And um, then I took I took a few months and I moved to Italy <laughs> because I wanted to study the art there. And my family was not too enthused with that. They wanted to keep me home. And then um, I saw some wild horses when I was in Italy. We went up to a little town called Amatrice, which is in the mountains. And they were, probably weren't wild, but in Italy they don't really have senses for their livestock. They just kind of run around. Yeah. And um, I saw this group of horses, and I was, like, instantly homesick. Hmm. And at that point I knew what I wanted to do. So I went home, and I told my dad, well, I want to go to school. It was a school out in Montana. I don't remember the name of it. I want to change. I want to go out there. I want to make horse training my major. Well, my dad did not want me to leave. He he didn't want me to leave. (laughs) So he made me an offer that I, I really couldn't refuse. He told me, well, I can take your tuition money, and I can build you, you know, a, a business. I can build you a big indoor arena. You know, we'll get you the finest training we can find around, and I'll get you a yearling that you can train and you can learn how to train, and, you know, that could be your business. You can either have a business or you can go get your degree and learn how to train there, and what am I going to (laughs) say? Did you even have to think about it? Oh, not really. But I I love to travel. I really do. I, I have a hard time staying in one place, so... But, yeah, I took it. I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did because now I'll have that forever. And you you have – you're not in it alone. This is definitely a family affair. Your husband's involved as well. Is that right? Yes, he is. Yeah. That just – you know, that's like every horsewoman's dream. <laughs> like, it really is. You know, to have a horse husband is usually – well, the the, mo- the horsey husbands that I know, like Glenn and my own husband, you know, they step into a barn and they start to shiver and shake with, with tension. 
So how is it that you came about having such a handy horse husband? Well, that's another kind of an interesting story. And the the funniest part is, in the beginning, I didn't we didn't even know about each other that we had the backgrounds with horses. I had gone on vacation to Hawaii, and then I didn't really come back. <laughs> I wanted to stay there. It's really beautiful. I would like to retire there one day. But um, I stayed there for a few years, and I was I got out of the horses. I was kind of burned out because I was doing so much. I was doing everything alone. Like you said, the horsewoman's dream is to have the husband. I didn't have that. I was just on my own doing boarding, training, teaching, everything. It was just so much work. I, I don't think I had a vacation in seven years. And, and finally, I went on vacation, and then I just couldn't come back. I took a job um, working for an Internet tour company, in, in, and it was located in the lobby of a hotel. Well, every day, this very handsome young man would come through and say hello to me. He was working on the construction crew that was remodeling the hotel. And that, four months later, we started to talk. And that is my husband today. <laughs> and then, like a month or two after we were together, we, you know, we really started to get to know each other. And we were talking about the horses. And here he was training racehorses in Mexico. And he did a lot of bareback and natural horsemanship. And he's um, he's part Mayan Indian, so he's really into the whole Native American horsemanship. So it's pretty exciting to have him. It, it really worked out well. It was amazing that we didn't know that about each other, and then here we are. That is, that gives new meaning to the phrase, a match made in heaven. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, horse in heaven. <laughs> horse heaven, Hawaii heaven. Mm-hmm. And so, and now you're... You're operating your your business. You're you're back in horses and, and training, and you're in Pennsylvania, right? Yes, yes. What part of Pennsylvania are you in? We are in eastern Pennsylvania, just on the New Jersey border. It's called the Lehigh Valley. This area is um, the little town that we're in. It's called Bath after Bath, England, but um, it's, a, it's a tiny little town. I think it's about mm, three hundred feet long. <laughs> and then <laughs> I'm in the in the country part just outside of that. And so you have, um, so obviously you had some internet exposure when you were working for that tour company in Hawaii. How was it that you then came to start blogging? Well, I just, I when you're on, working online too, you're always seeking out new things to read. When, when things would be slow, that's what I would be doing. And I just started seeing things and blogs, and I was looking for horse blogs, and I couldn't find any. So I decided, well, I like to write. I'm always writing. And I just started my own blog. Well, I've been reading through it over the last um, couple of days, and I'm just addicted to it already. I think it's fabulous. Oh, thank it's you. It's well written, and I love the variety of tips that you have. Um, for those of you, again, I'm going to say the uh, address. It's Deanna, D-E-A-N-N-A, Castro, C A S. TRO.com. And it really, it, all of the different um, posts are, um, it's tips and advice about improving communication between horse and rider. And there's everything in there from um, questions on shoeing to lunging to um, riding, training, young horses, all kinds of stuff. Um, what are, what's the inspiration behind each post? So before you, do you decide ahead of time what you're going to write about, or are you inspired by something that happens to you in your everyday life? 
Yeah, basically, I would say it's what happens in my everyday life. And I also get a lot of reader emails, so I like to answer those. They're always, like, interesting questions that they give me. And when I'm out at the when I'm out at the barn and I'm teaching or I'm watching my husband teach or something, I have my my Palm Pilot, which is a, my my smartphone. It's a Sprint Trio, and there's a little plug for them. But I love that phone because I just quick jot down what we did, or what what a problem we came across, or a tip that one of us uses, and it is a great thing to blog because I think there's a kind of a rhythm in the horse world. It seems that. I always say this, everybody seems to have the same questions and problems kind of around the same time, and it cycles that way. I, I don't know if you find that, but I always notice that, that all the people I speak to, it's, it ends up there's something that's a, a common thread that's going through everything. So if I write it down and I figure, I hope I can help somebody with a problem that we just solved, maybe they have one similar that they could do. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you in terms of the rhythm. It's like certain... I don't want to say problems, but certain topics come up and it's almost like they're trends. And then that sort of disappears and then something new comes up. Um, and, you know, I have to ask you this question because um, I think it's probably one of my favorite posts. Um, is your pug still for sale? <laughs> well, actually, he just, it's kind of funny because... He just rolled down the street with my neighbor in the back of her stroller. <laughs> my na- he's kind of <laughs> so silly. My neighbor's yelling in the door, I'm taking the pug for a walk, and I see him in the basket at the back of her stroller. <laughs> he's something else. He, he's a little bad boy. He's still here. I'm not letting her keep him, but he's like kind of a, a local celebrity. Everybody loves the pug. Yeah, he left you... Um, uh... You, for you folks listening out there to Stable Scoop, um, definitely go to Deanna's blog because there's a funny little picture up there about what her darling pug left as a gift on her adorable boots. Um. <laughs> Pink boots. <laughs> when he didn't get to go to the barn, he just, he was really angry. That dog, he loves to go to the barn. And he, he has um, a problem with his hip now. And somehow he lifted himself up and drop the present right on my new boots. <laughs> oh, bless his heart. He's too cute to be angry with, though, isn't he? Yeah, he is. I, I, I told my husband, it's near the pug. I was so angry with him, and, and he just laughed and laughed. So I said, okay. Well, okay. speaking of your, your husband laughing, that brings me to my other favorite post on your blog, which um, I found this one tonight, and I, I really had a good crack up. You were, um, Freddie, that's your husband, right? Yes. Yeah. He was helping you demonstrate, um, I, I think it's the Native American bareback mount? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, I had never heard of this. I, I didn't know that there was a particular technique to mounting bareback. So I, had, I was watching the first one, which is, um, what's the one that's easier than the Native American version? Oh, the jumping cast where you jump up and then you cast your legs behind you and swing them over and sit on the horse. Okay. So I'm watching that, and I'm really appreciating the video, which I think is fabulous, by the way. Um, and then I get to the next one, where you explain in the blog that you had about 20 takes, and your poor husband had to mount bareback in this most <laughs> difficult way, like 15 times, and the two of you were like punch drunk, and <laughs> the poor guy barely makes it on. But I, what a husband. 
I mean, what a husband and great for a laugh. That's that's what I call the what do you call it? The blog blooper? Yes, yes, it's the, the bareback blooper. The bareback yeah. blooper. <laughs> and he's just laying on the back of the horse laughing. We were both laughing so hard because he had done it so many times because the horse kept taking a step. And he, he just had a roping rein on. He just didn't really have anything on the horse, and we were just wanted to show the technique how you how you get up because I think it's, it's a really fun way. And then he's just laying there laughing and laughing. It was, that, was, that was a fun day. It actually and here in- I am. It it inspired me to uh, to give it a try, and um, hey, that is great. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it doesn't look easy, but it looked like so much fun. And you know, your laughter in that clip was just so infectious that I think anybody who watches it is going to totally appreciate what you guys have gone through. I know, and I'm like, oh, I was really, la- I was holding the camera, laughing and laughing. Well, it looks like you guys are having a lot of fun. You are so lucky to have your family around you and involved. And I know that I personally am am going to follow your blog. Um, I'm addicted. I'm definitely going to subscribe. Thank and I you. hope that all our other Stable Scoop listeners out there um, take a read through. It's chock full of so much helpful information. It's well written. It's lighthearted and um, and quite a lot of fun. It's DeannaCastro.com. We're going to post a link to it on StableScoop.com in our show notes. And uh, I encourage you to get out there and, and take a look. And I wish you all the best with your new baby, Deanna. Oh, thank you. All right. And on we go with the show. We would like to thank The Barn Works for being our sponsor this week. The Barn Works is a boutique marketing firm catering to horse businesses such as stables, trainers, farms, and more. Let them help you build a website that turns visitors into new business and saves you tons of time in the process. With more than 15 years' experience in the corporate world and lots of hands-on horse experience, the Barnworks offers a unique combination of horse sense and business sense. That's one of the things that you'll find different about the Barnworks is it's actually horse people building your horse site. Visit them on the web at thebarnworks.com or call 978-468-5167. That's 978 468 5167 and we appreciate their sponsorship of the Stable Scoop radio show. All right, Helena, I just have something here I wanted to go to do that's just kind of fun. We really didn't have any emails or voicemails and we'll go over how you can send us one if you have any comments about the horse slaughter bill or anything we talked about today. So Helena, did you know that the tallest documented horse was a Shire gelding named Samson who was 21 and a half hands high? Oh, no. Yes, 21 and a half. Now, I had a Percheron that was 18 and a half. I can't imagine 21 and a half. 21 and a half hands high. High. How do you get on something like uh, that? With with the crane. I I don't know. Samson. Uh, Wow. And that it's illegal for women weighing more than 200 pounds in in Gurney, Illinois, to ride a horse in shorts. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in Raton, New Mexico, it's illegal for a woman to ride a horse ho- ride a horseback down a public street with a kimono on. Now I have to object to that because, come on, what what girls doesn't have the dream of growing up and riding down a public street with a kimono on? I uh, know it's it's just in every fantasy book you have ever read. And why Raton, New Mexico? I like, don't know, but this was the this is one of the best ones. In Hartsville, Illinois, you can be arrested for riding an ugly horse. <laughs> so I don't I don't know who gets to pick whether the horse is ugly or not, but 
Because I have an ugly poster where you know, and you can be arrested. Can you that's... imagine? Excuse me, madam. Yeah. Could you please dismount? You're under yeah. arrest. Yeah, yeah. Your horse is ugly. Your horse is ugly. <laughs> <laughs> the record for the highest jump that a horse ever jumped was eight feet one and a quarter inches, which is pretty darn high. What, do they call that a puissance? Is that uh, where they do that? Where they jump the highest you can jump? I, th- I believe so. Yep. Yeah. yep. And I, I've never seen eight feet though. That's getting up there. And the record for the most animals in a hitch, and I have seen pictures of this, was 50 horses. Wow. That's a long rain. That's see if a you, lot of rain. See if you can find that. If you can I, find I, a picture I'll on the I'll take a look. I think, I think I, I have seen that picture before. So that's a lot of rains. Wow. Be sure uh, to listen again next week to Episode 8 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Tell all your friends and horse neighbors about us. You can find our show notes at StableScoop.com, and the blogs are available also at StableScoop.com. Helene and I each do a blog there. We encourage feedback. You can send us a voicemail at 270-803-0025, or you can email us at geeks, G-E-E-K-S, at horseradionetwork.com. So, and don't forget about the 2010 radio show, all about the 2010 World Equestrian Games at 2010radioshow.com. And we'd also, again, like to thank our sponsor, The Barn Works, for being our sponsor today. Well, Helena, we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. When I'll be here with the scoop. <laughs>